Welcome to another episode of Unearthing Paranormalcy, the podcast where we dig into the paranormal and try to find normalcy in the topic. I'm Amy. I'm Dave. I'm Chad. And I'm Eli. And this week we're going to do another Missing Persons episode. And in this episode, we're going to cover a couple of different cases. Two of the cases, they were found, but there's still some mysterious circumstances around it. Uh, one of them, Brian Schaefer, is still missing. Um, then we have the Jameson family, and we have Casey Hathaway. I'm going to go ahead and start with Brian Schaefer. Now, Brian Schaefer was born on February 25th, 1979. And in 2006, he was a second-year medical student at the University of Ohio, of Ohio. Apparently, medicine wasn't his main goal in life, though. He told friends that despite his decision to pursue his medical career... His real ambition was to start a band um, playing music in the vein of Jimmy Buffett. He really wanted to have an island, live on an island, and just play music. He was a guitar player, and there are photos of him on his MySpace page. Yes, MySpace does still exist, and these photos are still on there of him posing with his guitar. In fact, there's, you know, there's his, his MySpace page is still up, and you can go and look at the pictures and all that stuff on there. Now, on March 6, 2006, after a battle with cancer, Brian Schaefer's mother, Renee, passed away. From all accounts that I can find, Brian was close to his mother, and although he was grieving her loss, he seemed to be handling it well, according to friends and family. Now, I've lost a parent. Chad, you've lost a parent. I mean, we've all, everybody here at this table has lost a parent. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult loss, and it's, it's something that you never get over, and if you're a second-year medical student, you've just watched your mother die of cancer, medical school is going to be tough. I mean, it's already it's, tough, it's, let alone yeah. the depression and stress and anxiety brought forth of your mother passing yes. away. It's going to make it even harder. And we're also nearing, I mean, we're in March, so we're nearing the, the finals, Yeah, you know, all of that stuff. So he's, his stress level is probably going through the roof at this time. Now, Brian also has a girlfriend. Her name is Alexis Wagner, who was planning, they were planning to go on a trip to Miami, and they were set to leave out April 2nd. Now, from all of his friends and family, have said that he was planning on proposing to Alexis on this trip, and that he'd been planning it for months and, you know, was really big into the planning of the trip. Now, they never found a ring, they don't know of the existence of a ring. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't planning on purchasing it before they left or even after he was in Miami. Now, on March 31st, two days before he was supposed to leave for his trip, he went out to a dinner, an early dinner with his father. During the meal, Brian and his father were talking about the loss of his mother. You know, his dad was having difficulty dealing with it. And Brian told his dad that he was going to be there for him the best that he could. And then... He parted ways with his dad, and he was going to go out drinking with some friends to celebrate spring break. <clears throat> his dad mentioned that he was not a big proponent of this because he could see how tired Brian was from all of his studying that he'd done for all of his exams. But he didn't say anything. You know, his son's a big boy. He can go out and, you know, do what he wants. So Brian and his friend Clint Florence, um, they went out to uh, some clubs about 9 o'clock, Brian met Clint at the Ugly Tuna Saluna on High Street in Columbus, Ohio. 
At 10 o'clock, Brian called and spoke to Alexis. He told her that she was an amazing person and he couldn't wait to see her. She was in Toledo visiting family at the time. Uh, Brian and Clint had a couple of shots and then Clint called his friend Meredith Reed to pick them up. Meredith, Clint, and Brian went to a few different bars. Clint said that he and Brian had a shot at about every bar that they stopped at. Then around 1.15 a.m., they went back where they started at the night at the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Now, security camera footage shows the three of them riding the escalator up to the second floor bar. And then around 1.55 p.m., Brian is seen outside of the bar again on the security cameras talking to two women. The two women were identified by Clint as two girls that they knew from school. And then you see Brian go back into the bar, and then he is never seen again. Um, about 2 a.m., Clint and Meredith leave the bar and wait for Brian, but he never comes out. The two of them um, decided that maybe he just left and walked the six blocks to his apartment. So they leave. The next day, both Clint and Alexis try to contact Brian, but don't get an answer. Then on Monday, Brian misses his uh, flight to Miami. So Alexis was worried, called Brian's father, and then they go to his apartment. He's not there. That's when they call the police and the missing person's report is filed. Now, Alexis and Randy, Brian's father, search around the area he was last seen. This is that, that Monday. They start searching the area. <coughs> they were looking in dumpsters and in alleyways and just trying to find him anywhere. Now, police also joined in the search and started interviewing people who last saw him. Officers spent hours upon hours searching through the video footage, of Brian, but Brian Schaefer is never seen again on security cameras. Now, there are some conflicting reports on how many exits there are out of the Ugly Tuna Saluna. Um, some reports that I've seen say that there was the main entrance, and then there was like the service entrance, but the service entrance at the time led into a construction area. There were either cameras on there that weren't working properly at the time or there were no cameras. Like, those are the two reports that I've seen on that. But then I also found somebody who said that they used to work at the Ugly Tuna Saluna, and they said that there was only the one entrance, and that was the main entrance. So, again, conflicting reports. Now, when I heard about the construction, in the, the exit into the construction area, that's what alerted. I was like, well... You know, maybe he's drunk and he wanders out into the construction area. And the police even said that it would be hard enough to maneuver that construction area sober, let alone drunk, at night. But they supposedly searched it and never found anything. And that was on Reddit that I found that they said that there was, they worked at Ugly Tuna from 2007 to 2009. And that they said that there was only one entrance and one exit. Um, and that was the main entrance. And then now... Dealing in the security industry, I know that I don't feel like that meets any kind of fire code. There has to be a There would have exit. to be another exit somewhere because you've got that many people in a bar. There has to be two ways of egress. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't believe that that was the only exit. Now, there may not have been an exit that was readily used, but I've even, there could have even been like, you know, alarm will sound if you push, you yeah. go out this door or whatever. That would make sense. I feel like there would have been more than one entrance in that. And it's also a second story. You've got to have another exit on a second story. A fire escape or something like that. Um, but then again, we could be wrong because it could have been grandfathered in. 
Yeah. When this is also laws, Ohio, so who knows yeah, I don't what know the what rules are. I know Oklahoma fire safety code. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then needless to say, it's not safe in my opinion to have a second story bar with only one entrance and one exit. All right. So for yeah. the next few weeks and months, Alexis would call Brian's phone. They would it would always go directly to voicemail. Then at one point, a few months later in September, she called that phone and it actually rang. She said that she kept calling it because it was the most amazing sound she'd ever heard. But nobody ever picked up. Upon contacting Singular Wireless, they said that it could be one of two things. One, there's a glitch in the system that allowed the phone to ring on Alexis's end. Two, that Brian's phone had actually been turned back on. Now, a ping from the cell phone was detected in, at a cell tower in Hillard, Ohio, which is 14 miles northwest of Columbus. And, and this ping happened during this time? Mm-hmm. Now, if you go back to 2006, we're talking, these are the days before the smartphones, back when it was cool to have a flip phone. Yeah. And everybody's flip phone, or some took pictures if you were lucky. Um, I believe I, at that time I had an LG flip phone and I thought it was the coolest thing because it was my first phone that wasn't an Nokia brick. <laughs> um, now, I couldn't find any more information on this ping, but I'm going to bet that the detectives looked into it and they may have even found some information that they just never released to the public. Yeah, you know? yeah that happened. In this case, I don't feel like the police ever deliberately blew off any information. I feel like the police were pretty involved in the search. Unlike other cases like the Brandon Lawson case or... Um, and with this case, if it's still clarif- classified as an open case, there's going to be some information that's not released yet. Exactly. Now, detectives have been very dedicated to this case. In fact, I was listening to the True Crime Garage podcast and they were covering this case and they were talking about how one of the detectives, he would go on vacation and he'd be on vacation with his family, and he'd see somebody who he thought looked like Brian Schaefer, and he would run after him and chase him down, like literally run after them. And there was one time he was pulling security at a venue in Columbus, and he saw somebody that he thought looked like Brian, and he ran like six blocks to catch up with him. Turned out it was Brian's brother. So, I mean, he was, he was dedicated yeah. for this to this case, and this case still haunts him to this day. This case is giving me chills. This this case, I I have been on Google Maps and I have like mapped <laughs> what it would take to walk from the Ugly Tuna Saluna to the street that he lived on and tried to kind of pinpoint where his apartments might be. And uh, now, I mean, this was 2006, so we're now talking 13 years later. It looks like it's ha- undergone a lot of gentrification. Right, right. You know, a lot of new buildings and... <clears throat> Obviously, new businesses that have come in, mm-hmm. but it still looks a little bit sketchy in some of the areas. So I don't know if back in 2006, if it was a little sketchier. I don't know. You know, because you go through Oklahoma City, and there are some places in Oklahoma City that are really nice, but you know that they've just been redone. Yeah, like Bricktown. Bricktown is a really nice area now, but 15 years ago, Wasn't you get so nice. shot walking through Bricktown. <laughs> you know yeah in the middle of the day yeah so i i don't know what all what's changed in in that time frame but it's an interesting area now in 2009 brian schaefer's 
uh, Randy Schaefer, Brian Schaefer's dad, was killed in a freak accident. Um, there had been a windstorm when he was cleaning up debris, and a branch was knocked out of a nearby tree and struck him and killed him. And it wasn't until the next morning that the neighbors discovered his body. So now the only person in the Schaefer family that is continuing on the search is his brother. Um, I actually didn't find a whole lot on his brother when I was doing research, but I know that some other podcasts talked about his brother. Now, random question. When you looked on the Google map, were there any bodies of water? There is a river nearby, yes. Now they dragged the river. They did. To do it again? They should. Now, there was an obituary for the father online, and there was an online guest book. And someone posted, to dad, love Brian, and then it said U.S. Virgin Islands. Upon investigation, though, it turned out that this was just a hoax, but it got everybody's excitement. Who would do that as a hoax? That's not even fucking nice. An internet, nasty internet troll. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. I hope whoever it was... Get back under your bridge, you troll. I hope whoever it was got in massive trouble for that, because I feel like that is even interfering with the crime's investigation. Well, that's sending money for a detective to fly to the U.S. Virgin Islands yeah. and, and search. Now, police continue to watch Brian's bank, social security number, and his phone, but they've never seen any activity on him. In an interview with Alexis, she said that it was about a year after his disappearance when she finally stopped calling his cell phone. And then in 2009, she got married, and she became an OBGYN and has two sons. Uh, there are many theories on what happened to Brian. Some believe that he decided that he was tired of living the doctor life. And after his mother's death, realized the life was too short. And so he went on to pursue his dream and just up and left. And that one I find really hard to believe. I mean, just from the knowledge of the information you've given us about his life, he doesn't seem like someone who would just give up and yeah, leave. with how much he yeah. was gonna you know get married and yeah i understand that i got to see him leaving school and not finishing his degree but i don't see him up and just disappearing and not talking to his family or his girlfriend or anybody ever again yeah well and they they think that the reason why you never see him leave is because he puts on a hat or he you know puts on a hoodie and just goes out with the crowd and i mean but that would be him knowing there's video cameras exactly I feel like he talked to his girlfriend that day. He talked to his dad that day. Neither of them got the hint that he, or a feeling that he was wanting to leave or depression or anything like that. Um, he said his dad thought he looked tired. Uh, but other than that. Now, you also didn't say anything about like he emptied out his bank account or, he or anything yeah. like that, you know? If he would have so. disappeared, he would have gone and got as much cash as he could and then left. Or Who would think? Yeah. Yeah. Now, there's the theory that he walked home and, you know, met some kind of foul play on his walk home. Again, somehow the cameras missed him and he, he somehow got downstairs and started walking home. And then got mugged or whatever, and then maybe an accident happened. And a lot of the theories suggest that he got thrown into a dumpster. Now, I said that they checked the dumpsters that Monday morning, but in a lot of the research that I did, trash cans or dumpsters in that area get start getting dumped as early as like 3 o'clock in the morning. So it very well could have been he got dumped in a dumpster and he's in a landfill somewhere. 
I don't know what they've done with cadaver dogs, but you would think that a cadaver dog would have picked something up, even tracing him to the dumpster. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know on that. There's also theories about drug use that he was outside talking to the two women about scoring some drugs and they said, yeah, meet us in the back of the bar and then something happened there. There is no indication that he was ever on any kind of drug. From all of his friends and family, there's no indication. Now, his friend Clint that he was with, in the first few days, cooperated fully in the search and trying to find Brian. Then he was asked to take a polygraph test. He refused and immediately lawyered up. And to this day, he only talks through his lawyer. And he's even changed his name and goes by another name now. That seems a little fishy. I can understand the luring up part because your friend just went missing. Yeah. You were the last one known to see him. Yeah, I would get a lawyer too because in case they try to pin it on you. But the fact that he's changed his name and still to this day won't even talk to him is a little kind of fishy. Yeah. In fact, his lawyers, he and his lawyer are convinced that Brian Schaefer is still alive and just started a new life. And so they are actually... They came out, his lawyer came out and said something along the lines of how his client is not responsible for the pain that the family's going through. In fact, Brian is, and Brian needs to come forward and put an end to it now, which now I almost feel like you may be victim blaming. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I just. I could understand the being scared for your own well-being after all this happening. And apparently his, he also came from money. So it very well could be his family was like, hey. We're going to get you an attorney, and we're going to do this. And the attorney would advise against a polygraph test. Polygraph tests can't be used in court. Because they're not reliable. Because they're not reliable. They they could at the time, though. In 2006? I believe so. I don't know. But they're not reliable. You, I mean, you can fudge a lie detector test. I mean, was it the Brian Lawson case that it was deemed... It was thrown out thrown because, out he, because coughed. he coughed during the test? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So... So, listeners, if you ever have to take a polygraph, just cough in the middle of it. Well, I, f- I would actually just say don't take it. There's nothing <laughs> you can gain from taking it. Any attorney no. is going to say don't yeah. take one. But um, Because, I mean, if, if it comes out wrong, then they're just going to have a whole bunch more questions for you. And if it comes out right, then they're just going to say, oh, well, you know, psychopaths people who would murder somebody can fake these things because they yeah. don't have a conscious. I mean, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation. I, well, actually, I would never take one. In all honesty, if the cops want to speak to you, request an attorney, period. Whether it's, I mean, they entrap people very easily. Say never solo interview. Yeah, you always want to have an attorney present. So, I mean, I, don't, I do not blame Clint for getting an attorney. I yeah. think it was very smart of Clint to do that. Um. I just feel like his actions afterwards have been very. Yeah, they're they're kind of they're they're, they're sending they're a different message. Kind of yeah, they send a different message. Whether self incriminating. Yeah. Now, so the friend Meredith did take the background check or the background check, the um, polygraph test, and passed it. Really had no clue what happened to Brian. Now, uh, there's also the theory that he went out into the construction area, maybe fell in a hole. And, you know, the next day they came and started working on the site and he got built into a building, you know, fell into a hole and they poured concrete the next day, didn't look into the hole. Uh, that's just one of the theories. There's all kinds of theories out there. That that one's kind of low for me. Yeah, me too. Because I think you would notice something like that. I would think so too. So when I used to do 
foundation repair, and we used to do uh, uh, we dig holes next to buildings, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, next to houses and commercial whatever. But the guideline of doing that to protect our ass is to, especially if there was a house with children in it, we'd always check the holes. And now sometimes these holes are like four foot deep. The deepest I've ever dug down is like 16 feet deep. Okay. So at one point, the light that's not direct, like the sun not directly above you, there's a shadow and you can't always see down in this hole all the way. Mm -hmm. So basically to protect our asses, we would have to shine a flashlight, make sure there was nothing down there before we started filling this hole back up with dirt. Because otherwise... You, yeah, yeah, and I, I would think if you're leaving the site for the night, you would put Secure a piece of up. OSB board or something over it. Secure it up enough that yeah, like I said, that's just one of the theories sure. that's out there online. Um, there have been many psychics who have weighed in on this. Um, in fact, there was a TV show back a few years ago years ago called Psychic Kids. I actually purchased the episode <laughs> so I could watch this, but they actually try to you know, use their psychic powers to investigate the missing Brian Schaefer case. And what's interesting is I saw this episode back years when the show was on, never even correlated the two until, until I rewatched it. it. But, um, them and other psychics out there have said that there is a female that knows something that is not speaking. And then they, then, in the Psychic Kids episode, somebody points to a balcony and said that he was being watched the whole night and that basically it was an argument gone wrong. And it was an argument based off of jealousy. I don't know. Did they ever polygraph test his fiance? I don't know. I never found anything. But about if she them. was in Toledo, so. She was in Toledo with friends and family. Now, I don't want to be jumping far ahead, too far ahead here. Because recently, you uh, we've all watched uh, the Smiley Face Killers yes. on Oxygen. And in that, Brian Schaefer fits every single um, description for a case they would cover. Exactly. And they even, uh, there's a late air with like a river nearby. That's why, uh, so that's why I asked about the river earlier. Um, for those who don't know, the Smiley Face Killers is a documentary on Oxygen about... These retired New York detectives who were looking into these missing person cases that the bodies tend to be found in a body of water some days after the disappearance. In all the cases, the decomposition does not match the amount of time the person was missing and supposedly drowned. All the cases were found as accidental deaths or unknown deaths. So the cases were closed and never uh, researched. Um, they were all college age men. They're all college age men who were high in their class, athletic, or just well liked people. And they were all leaving <coughs> bars or parties. Yeah, and they're all leaving. They were all out drinking and then disappear. Um, and then they call it the smiley face killers because their belief is that there is a group of either traveling or world or countrywide serial killers that cause every time they've found a body, they have found a smiley face. Pr- uh, painted or just found it somewhere near the location where the body was found. Mm-hmm. But he hit so many of the things they look into that decide whether or not they want to look into a case. That really makes me think that he m- could have been. Yeah. And a lot of the times in the smiley, well, from watching the, the documentaries, a lot of the times in the smiley face murders, 
the bodies are found after they've searched the waterways. Mm-hmm. And that always, it makes me think that they're watching the police investigation. They're watching the investigation, yeah. So if they watch them drag this river, they may have gone and thrown Brian in after the fact. Yeah. Because, yes, these bodies and the smiley face killers, you know, they're missing for 77 days and they find them and they're not even they showing. Have, they have less than a week's worth of yeah. decomposition, not counting being in the water and what the water would do to your decomposition. Yeah, well, the water speeds up the process. Now, don't the vast majority of them have some type of antidepressant drug in their system? Do they, they have, have a GHP yeah. or which is commonly a date rape drug in their system. And okay. interesting enough, the GHP is not a drug that's tested for in autopsies. And in fact, it's it's a special test that they and have to do. It requires a special talk, uh, toxicology report yeah. to pick it up. So that is another reason why I feel like, okay, they know this, so they use this drug because it's not going to be found. And then it just looks like an accident. It looks like somebody got drunk and passed out in the water. Um, but yes, the smiley face murders are one of the theories, the theories what happened to Brian Schaefer. Now, I would love to find out that Brian Schaefer was just alive because I feel like this, when I did the research on this, it, it really pulled me in and it tugged at my heart because I was just like, what happened to him? And like I said, I got on Google Earth and I sat there and I walked through, like, when it comes through. to most di- missing persons, it hits me because I just know there's a family of the yeah. person that's missing and they deserve answers and missing persons cases don't tend to get the investigation the investigation they deserve so it, yeah, it kind of pulls you in and makes you really kind of you know you hope for the best yeah but yeah this case is just really weird after no. watching the documentaries, I have ideas of what could have happened. But once again, those are all off of something that's already happened someplace else. Yeah. So. Now, like with the Brandon Lawson and the Joe Pitchler case, I'll post a picture of um, Brian Schaefer on our Instagram and Facebook and all of that. But here's the description of Brian Schaefer. Um, yeah, he's very typical looking... He, or he was a very typical-looking college student at the time. Now, he would be about 40 years old now. But at the time, he was 6'2", and 160 to 170 pounds, hazel eyes, with a black dot on his left iris. Um, he had brown hair, and he had a pearl jam uh, symbol tattooed on his upper bicep, like the stick figure uh, pearl jam tattoo. And he was a huge Pearl Jam fan. And in fact, he had tickets to go to a Pearl Jam concert um, just a few weeks after he left. Or he, he left. He disappeared. And Alexis actually auctioned off the tickets to put towards the, put the funds towards his um, okay. reward, the reward for him. And at the concert, Pearl Jam announced his missing person and gave the description of him and you know like hey if you see this guy out there contact police so i mean even pearl jam got involved in this one brian schaefer is still missing if you have any information on brian schaefer or the case 
contact the Central Ohio Crime Stoppers at 1-877-645-TIPS. That's 1-877-645-8477. You can also visit findbrianschafer.com. That's still an active website. For his brother's sake, since, you know, his father and mother are gone, for his brother's sake, I would like for them to find him. I mean, whether it be remains or Brian himself. Yeah, have closure. Yeah. I really... I guess the positive side of me is hoping that he's just chilling out on an island somewhere. Again, it goes back to like the Brandon Lawson case. Now, with Brandon Lawson, I feel like Brandon Lawson was more likely to have disappeared, like run off and just disappeared, than Brian Schaefer. And the fact that Brian Schaefer had everything going for him at the time. Yeah. You know, Brandon Lawson, you know, had some troubles. And I could see where he would might want to just get up and leave his life. But Brian Schaefer, I mean, he had a beautiful girlfriend. He was about to become a doctor. You know, life was good for him. I don't see a reason why he would have left. Unless he had some kind of internal demon. Yeah. Because, I mean, another theory is that he committed suicide. But his family and friends don't think that that was possible. But you never know. You think, still think if he would have committed suicide, there would have been... Something. A remains or a body somewhere. So, that is the information on Brian Schaefer. Dave, you have another case for us. Yes, I do. Right. Bobby Dale Jameson and Cheryl Jameson, along with their six-year-old daughter, Madison Stormy Star Jameson, went missing in the Red Oak Mountain area of southeast Oklahoma in October of 2009. Both Bobby Dale and Sherilyn were on disability at the time of their disappearance. So on October 8, 2009, the couple along with their daughter had driven into rural Latimer County where the family had plans to look at a 40-acre plot of land near Red Oak, a town with a population of about 500. The land was around 30 miles from their home in Eufaula, They planned to live inside a storage shed they already owned, which was located on their property in Eufaula. The couple had specifically requested to look at the land without the assistance of the real estate agent. Sherilyn's son, from a previous relationship, Colton, saw his mother just weeks before she went missing, and she never mentioned any plans to move. After no one had heard from the family for a couple days, a missing persons report was filed. Investigators found the couple's abandoned pickup on October 16, 2009, eight days after they were last seen. The truck was found in Latimer County near a large plot of land about an, hour, about an hour drive from the Jameson home. The truck had not been crashed, There was no sign of distress or a struggle, and there seemed to be no evidence of foul play. The truck was also locked. Police checked the surrounding woods and found nothing. Now, inside the truck, and I I had to pull this from... It's not as bad as if your dog finds your stash and eats all of it and gets high for um, hours. Like cocoa, like Baker's chocolate's really bad for him because it's made from pure cocoa, but... That kind of stuff is just little bits of cocoa and mostly sugar and grain. So, 
Now inside the truck, the following items were found. Bobby Jameson's wallet and IDs. Bobby Jameson's cell phone. Cheryl Jameson's purse. Sherilyn's wallet and IDs. Sherilyn's prescription pill bottles. Sherilyn's cell phone. A prescription pill bottle with the name Kenneth Bellows on it. A GPS unit. Maps. Car keys. The family's coats. $32,000 in cash in a Ziploc bag inside of a bank bag beneath the driver's seat. An 11-page hateful letter from Sherilyn to her husband in which she was very aggressive towards him. Her mother and other family members and friends have stated that this was common and was not unusual. The family dog, Maisie, was also found inside the truck. Near death from starvation, but luckily it ended up surviving and went on to live with Bobby's mother. Sherilyn had a small caliber handgun that she usually kept in the vehicle, which was never found. On Bobby Jameson's cell phone, there was a picture of Madison taken in the mountains on the day they disappeared. The six-year-old was shown leaning up against a rock with her arms crossed and what was described by family as a pretty scared or uncomfortable expression on her face. There was no evidence of drugs or drug paraphernalia in the vehicle. $36,000? 32000 But yes, $32,000 in cash. But at the same time, I mean, they were looking at land to, land to purchase. The only thing that would throw me off is the fact that they said they, d- they were going to meet without a realtor. Yeah. If you think they were going to buy the property, they would be meeting with the realtor. But Unless they maybe had talked to the owner and they were going to do a, a cash trade with the owner and not involve a realtor. That way you don't have to pay all the realtor fees. And True. I don't know. Property is a little bit harder to do that with because you have to go through, you know, the county and all that stuff to change ownership and to verify ownership. And I mean, even if you're not using a realtor, you can't just hand over cash and have the property. Can't just hand receipt it. So a search party was formed and investigators combed through miles of woods and surrounding areas looking for any trace of the Jameson family and they turned up nothing. Over 100 people were enlisted to search for the Jameson family. Over the next several months, four massive searches that involved hundreds of volunteers, horses, mules, four-wheelers, 16 teams of cadaver dogs, helicopters, and even an unmanned drone would yield no result. Okay, so let's back up a little. Investigators searched the residence. They found a security video taken outside the Jameson home the night they left. In the video, the couple is seen going back and forth between the house and truck, packing up their belongings. Investigators said that the parents seemed to be almost in a trance. They were seen emotionlessly walking back and forth from house to car, not once looking or speaking to one another. Investigators also said they changed clothes a couple times while loading the truck. They also carried items from the house to the truck, then on a few occasions carried already packed items back to the house and then carried the same items from the house and loaded them back into the truck. 
A letter discussing death was also found at the couple's Eufaula home following their disappearance. There was no evidence of drugs or drug paraphernalia in the home or around the property. They also found another clue in the security video. Sherilyn placed a brown leather briefcase in the pickup. The briefcase was not in the abandoned truck, nor was it found in any search efforts. According to reports and media outlets, many strange claims started coming out about the family during the investigation. The family's pastor said the Jamesons had been involved in some sort of spiritual warfare. Bobby Dale had gone to his pastor and claimed that his home was haunted, saying that he had, quote, two to four ghosts on the roof. He also reported that Bobby had approached him to ask him how to deal with spirits in his home. Although he stated his wife wasn't bothered by these paranormal visitors, he asked the minister if there were special bullets to shoot spirits with. The couple also had an interest in witches and witchcraft. Witches' Bibles were found in the house, and Sherilyn had also purchased a satanic Bible, allegedly as a joke. However, Bobby Dale confessed to his pastor that he had read it. It was also said the Jamesons were consulting the Satanic Bibles for information on how to rid their home of the spirits. So, the pill bottle in the truck that had the name Kenneth Bellows on it. Investigators tracked down Kenneth Bellows. So, Kenneth Bellows was their friend, and he was also a handyman, and he was living at the property with them for a time. But not long before their disappearance... Sherilyn had forced him uh, from the home at gunpoint, but Bellows was later cleared of any wrongdoing by investigators from the FBI. Now, the couple had recently removed their daughter, Madison Stormy Star Jameson, from the school where she was attending kindergarten and was said to have intentions of suing the Eufaula, Oklahoma School District. The reasons for the lawsuit are unknown. Less than six months before they vanished, the Jameson family was threatened with violence by Bobby Dean's father, Bob Dean Jameson. His own father threatened to kill him and his family on at least two occasions, in November 2008 and in late April 2009. Bobby Jameson, his wife, Sherilyn, and daughter Madison went missing in October 2009, roughly six months after a petition was filed in McIntosh County. The petition for a protective order filed by Bobby Jameson reveals Bobby describing his father as a, quote, very dangerous man who thinks he is above the law. He claimed that his father, who was 67 at the time, was involved with prostitutes, gangs, and meth. Bobby Jameson does not say in the petition how his father threatened to kill him and his family, but he did write that his father, quote, hit me with his vehicle on November 1st, 2008. Bobby Jameson also wrote in the petition, quote, My entire family is severely scared for their lives. I am in fear at all times. The protective order was dismissed May 18th, 2009, after a judge heard testimony from those involved. Bob Dean Jameson died in December 2009, about two months after the Jameson family went missing near Quinta. Jack Jameson, the father's brother, said he doesn't believe Bob Dean Jameson was involved in the disappearance of the family. 
Um, quote, he was either in a hospital or in a rest home, Jack Jameson said. I just don't think he was involved. He was disturbed at the time, but I'm pretty sure he was not capable of being involved in that. And investigators do not believe the restraining order has played any role in the family's disappearance. On November 15th, 2013, four years after the family disappeared, the partial skeletal remains of a male, female, and child were found in the woods less than three miles from where the Jameson truck was found. A local hunter scouting for deer found three human skulls as well as three partial skeletons laying side by side, face down. A further search of the area where the remains were found also turned up shoes, bits of clothing, and other bones and bone fragments. In July of 2014, the remains were confirmed to be the Jameson family. The remains were so decomposed there was no way to tell the cause of death, Bobby, however, had an unexplained hole in the back of his head. An incident report released by the sheriff's office includes GPS coordinates and shows the bodies were found in an extremely remote area about nine miles south of Quinta. There are no paved roads for miles around. The area is also densely wooded. Not found with the remains were the small caliber handgun or the brown leather briefcase. So I know murder-suicide was one of the theories, but I feel like if it was murder-suicide, they wouldn't have all been face down. Yeah, it sounds like it was an uh, execution. It's, yeah, it's all of them face down sounds like an execution. And if their father was involved in meth... I say, it almost sounds like it was not their father, but maybe who he was... Like an connected to, well, and meth is prominent in the that the area, area anyway. Southeast Oklahoma, yeah. So they could have even just run into something they weren't supposed to. I that mean, thirty-two thousand dollars could have been stolen from, from a meth dealer, and yeah. he chased them down and took them out into the woods yeah, and killed them. There any indications that they clean out a account or anything or no? So that I didn't find any other information like that. So either they were stuffing cash away for a long time, or yeah, they stum- maybe they even stumbled upon it, or maybe they were transporting it. Well, like the whole thing with like they said the spirits on his roof and stuff makes me think of what if there were actually people, maybe maybe not on his property in Ufala, that were smuggling drugs through it or something like that, and him them just thinking. It was some kind of spirit or ghost or some kind of haunting or demon or something like that. I'm going to say it real fast. If you hear clicking in the background, our dog is roaming around the living room. <laughs> okay, well, they're talking about spirits on the roof. Now, Chad, you and I deal with this on a regular basis mm-hmm. at work. and Not spirits on the roof, <laughs> but... People who have spirits in their attic and or have, have something, people in their, yeah, someone messing with their house yes. in quote in quotation marks. Most of the time, it is dementia or even some schizophrenia that we're we're dealing with. And both these people are on disability. Does do we know what kind of disability? His or? was for his back. Yeah, and I don't know what hers was. I'm not sure either. 
He was on ma- pain medication too. Yeah. So it could be hallucinations. It could be the spirits could be hallucinations, or it could be, like I said, drug runners or something using their property and making noises, and them not knowing it, but thinking it is. Uh, well, I'm taken back to a customer that we had that was convinced that her attorney was pumping methamphetamines into her house to make her hallucinate. And I'm not saying that they were pumping methamphetamines into her house, but if their dad was involved in meth and he's threatening to kill the family, they're on land, so they probably have a well. What's to say he didn't have somebody tamper with their well and he was poisoning them? Yeah. Yeah. And then they start hallucinating. They start seeing things. Well, then you have the whole them taking things in and out of the house, the truck. What all could that be? It could even just simply be they're scared for their life and they are moving, they are leaving. Yeah. And they're packing the truck up and then they're, you know, maybe inside the house that you don't see on the security camera. Maybe they're arguing, we don't need to take that. Why are you taking that? We just need to take this. And then they're just walking back and forth. Yeah, you say they're not making eye contact or anything to back and forth to the van or to the truck. Yeah. But if they're having these conversations inside the house, it could be the... We're not taking that. Well, I'm taking it. It's mine. It's mine or whatever. Well, Dave and, and I were talking about that too. There are times that we're busy doing things mm-hmm. and we're talking to each other, but we're not stopping and looking at each other to have the Anytime conversation. Anytime I've moved, I have multiple people helping me. We don't talk as we're walking, grabbing stuff, walking back and forth. Yeah. yeah. So now the oddest behavior from that video is them changing their clothes multiple times. Yeah. I would say. Unless they're like me and I'm clumsy and I spill something on me. You know, I don't know. I would think multiple times would be a bit excessive, yeah. but that part I can't really explain. But, but. It, it, maybe there was a ghost. Maybe they were possessed by demons. I mean, I don't know. This story just has, uh, it takes you in so, so many different odd. ways. Um, Bobby Jameson's mother, she kind of believes that maybe a cult got a hold of him. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I do remember you talking about that, too. Yeah. I could see the thing with Oklahoma being the Bible Belt. I could see your children, or your son and his wife, having strange behavior all of a sudden and then disappear. And they're finding these, you know, witchcraft books and satanic Bible in their house. I could see someone from the Bible Belt go, it was a cult. I remember my mom thought I was joining a cult when I went, yeah. took me to church in middle school and high school. Yeah, I was right. told I was in a church too, when I, or a, a cult, cult too, yeah. when I was going to church. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of one of those things. Um, so, but this one, like, it's got the idea that it could be something paranormal. I mean, it could have been doing witchcraft, they conjured some kind of demon who was terrorizing them. And it was Momo. Yeah, Momo. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but let's not forget that their bodies have been found, and I don't understand how you would find three bodies face down. And you said the gentleman had a hole in his head, a hole yeah. in the back of his head. So, regardless of what we think, that is. And you said he was. They were. They were found three miles from the vehicle. Is yeah, that right? th- that's three miles, mm-hmm. but. As far as like by trail, it's probably about seven miles. Okay, the trails wind so, up to the area. So if they if they went as far as dragging this family out of that vehicle, 
taking them seven miles through trail or throughout trail to a specific spot and killing them, we can't blame it on demons and we can't blame yeah. it on spiritual. Yeah. That's 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 far from that's far from actual. Well, I mean, at that point, theory. there still could have been a murder suicide, but. I mean, it, was there that you said there wasn't a gun found? No. no. Okay, so if it was a murder suicide, there would have been a gun there. Yeah, you would think, yes. And let I mean, there there had to have been some sort of weapon there because, like, even if it, even if she had, like, even if it was the wife, because I can now understand why they found an angry letter, because even if it, if it was planted there, it could have honestly just been okay. If they eventually find the bodies, they can blame it on the wife or they can blame mm-hmm. it on the husband. You know what I mean? But they also don't know what the hole was made from. It could have been a rock smashed against the back of his head. And then the wife did something, you know, strangled the daughter. And then I don't know how she would have killed herself, though. Because like, slit her throat, I guess. That, that's but, what I'm saying, though. Is if, but if, all laying, if she slit all her laying throat, down face. I, no, I completely understand. I'm not, okay. I'm not saying I'm rooting for it. Or I'm saying it's yeah. demons. No. I'm just saying it has that aspect to it because of stuff he has, he's claimed and said. Um, I mean, yeah. I would I would even buy more that they were pumping their well full of shit, made them go crazy, and then pushed them away from a safe home into an area where they had more access to them, finding them, cornering oh, them, I, and then setting them up to to basically. I completely be agree. Once again, I am okay. not saying it's spirits and demons. I'm oh, no, saying it has that, that possibility because of the other things said. It gives a odd. It has a twist to the story that just is so uh, confusing. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I, I agree. No, I think. I mean, I there was definitely murder involved. Yes. Like, I, I, think, I, I, I don't think, think there's there's not any way around there being or murder drug involved gang in this. or something. Yeah, red rum yeah. was definitely there. But what? Because yeah, I mean, we can rule out that that they got lost in the woods and like died of exposure or something. Well, especially because, since they left their dog in the car. Because yeah. they wouldn't have all been found the way they were. Yeah. If they had like died from exposure, my, they wouldn't have all been. Laying my side belief by side. is the dad had something to do with it. Maybe not in the hand of doing it, but him being into drugs and all that is. Who's not to say? I'm not sure how. Like, if it was just like a house with a little land they had, and you follow, or if they actually had like a, a decent amount of land or something like that. But not to say that the father was using. Their land is a point for transactions or through storage of methamphetamine. Them str- stumbling across it, and ca- meaning the brown briefcase that the scene had taken up to the car that had thirty six. They found thirty two thousand dollars in this briefcase, and then the gang or whatever it is that is controlled the meth finds out that they have their stuff, and then. Takes them out to this ro- country road, kills them, takes I, their stuff, and just do- maybe doesn't realize the money's still in the car. I kind of just no. had like an aha moment when you were talking about that. What if they did find this money, and they're like, "Look at this, we're gonna take this and we're gonna get out of here." Mm-hmm. And so they're acting weird, packing up the car because they're not tr- wanting to bring attention to themselves because they don't want people to know that they have this money. Yeah. But they're still acting weird because they're not used to hiding things like that, you know? And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to make this trip down south. Well, it gets discovered and somebody follows them down there. And voila. You, you said the money was found in a 
<laughs> Ziploc bag in a money bag underneath the driver's okay. seat. Okay. Yeah, inside of I thought you, I thought you had said it was found in an, in a bank bag. Like was, yeah. in a bank bag, yeah. Okay. Yeah, in a bank bag. But you cuz that's bank... that's where you asked if if there was any withdrawals made, right? Not yeah, 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 okay. But then that makes me think what like in going with this whole thing is if they had taken it out of the suitcase, the money out of the suitcase were probably some drugs were as well and hid it in underneath the driver's seat and you know in a couple bags and stuff. That if whoever the you know if it was part of these drug dealers, they didn't you know grab the suitcase mm-hmm. and go and kill them, and not even look to see if the money was in there, yeah, and then leave, and then the cops find the vehicle before they actually get a chance to go back and look for their stuff. So in all counteracts of this, because I was talking about like a physical weapon, what if it was poison? Mm-hmm. That would, because I mean, that would honestly be like, okay, well, I'm going to poison my daughter, I'm going to poison my wife or my my husband or whatever, and I'm going to take the same amount of poison and lay down in the same position. Yeah, but I think if you're poisoning them, I would. If you were doing your family, there would still be some sort of affection that you wouldn't lay them face down. I just, I don't think that because Bobby Jameson, he was on disability. His back was all jacked up. I don't think them two being on disability like they were, much less with a six-year-old, could have walked the seven miles to where they were found. Yeah. yeah. So if they were killed, they were carried? Well, I mean, they could have been forced out there. So, I mean, I but think they would have like, willingly walked yeah. seven miles. No. They, they would have been, like, loaded into a vehicle. and Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a strange case. So, I mean, if and it, it was... being a, 13 years later that they're found... I mean, they could have been drug out there and mm-hmm. laid face down. That's why the shoes and other bones are found. Yeah, and scavengers come and scavengers through. Come and through. And yeah. But, yeah, the thing is, if they were still found, I mean, yeah, if it's, say, you know, from point A to point B, it's three miles. Mm-hmm. If they had searches done, only thing that makes me think is they were brought back to that location. That's because kind of the cadaver dogs. Because the cadaver dogs would have found some picked up the scent the surge radius is for a hundred man search team is going to be at least five miles if not longer in every direction just come from other searches i've seen and from what a little bit of criminal science i remember from school Um, Now, now don't quote me on it but i saw the map of where the bodies were found and it looked like there was a trail maybe a 50, 100 yards away from it. So, I mean, they weren't found in, like, dense, dense woods. So, yeah, yeah. a search team would have been able to get yeah. there. So. so They would have gone through there. So, I think they were chased out there, captured, and then after being killed or something like that, taken back out there and dropped off or something. Because, yeah, I just think if within being three miles from where the vehicle was located, a search party would have found them. Yeah. Yeah. So why why would they take a picture of the girl though? That's what I can't wrap my head around. I saw the picture and she doesn't look happy, but she could have just been having a bad day. Your dad I mean, drug you out in the middle of nowhere. I yeah. guess you would think though if you're from Ufala, you're probably into that kind of stuff though. Well, if um, you maybe she was asleep in the car and they got out and they were walking around and looking at stuff. I haven't seen the photo, but also could be I mean, our daughter gets mad sometimes for no reason. And they said sure. the photo was taken that day. Yeah. Or yeah. I'm um, in the in the area too. Yeah. 
I mean, it could have been from them going out and searching, but also it could have been sex trafficking. It could have been whoever took them out there using the father's phone, taking a picture of her, and then, you know, maybe sending it to someone. You think they would look to like, see if hey, they sent, but... does anybody want this one? Yeah. And then... Possibly, because I, I know with these... I mean, I got a lot of clues here, but police always hold stuff back, yeah. so that might be the thing they're holding back till they get yeah. a hold of somebody. Is this still under investigation, or is it closed? The that I don't persons know. is probably closed, um, but I would think the case... Could, I mean, it's probably a cold case. Yeah. yeah. It's probably still open. Because it's five years old at this point? Yeah. I would As think the missing case? persons case part would be closed, but... I don't know. It's kind of like the smiley face killers. Those cases are closed, even though there's clear evidence that it was foul play. Yeah. And it may be one of those. This is, I mean, a small town, 500 people. Yeah. Who they? It's probably a closed case. Yeah. But there's still information they're probably holding back. Yeah. Redacted information that's not out there. Yeah, because yeah. something that only the only somebody involved in it would know. The thing that really gets me though. For a case like this, why was the FBI involved in Kenneth or whatever's... He was in jail at the time, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that was the only reason he was involved, because yeah. he and was think, in jail out of state. And I think that's why he was cleared. Okay. Because that that in, just threw me off of the fact that the FBI would clear somebody in this case. Yeah. But if he was in a federal uh, prison somewhere, then... Yeah. yeah, I think that he was. Sense. I think that's actually what cleared him was the fact that he was in jail at the time that they went missing. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes with these kind of reports, because I mean this is mostly secondhand information from other people, they see something like OSBI, which is Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. They're like, "What is that?" And they look it up, and they're like, "Oh, it's the it's probably just like the FBI." So I'm just gonna write FBI on yeah. my report. And yeah. So. Well, it's a strange case, and I guess if anybody knows anything about that, I would contact the Oklahoma Crime Stoppers or OSBI at some no. point. Um, so this story had a little yeah. bit of paranormal for us, or at least some hints towards paranormal. But. Well, our last one, I'm going to pick it up a little bit. That was a, that was a dark, dark story. Ones. Brian yeah. Schaefer's a little dark. Mine has a happy ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Is she Asian? I mean. Uh, this is about child, Chad. Watch it. This is also a very recent story. On January 22nd, 2019, three-year-old Casey Hathaway was playing in the backyard with his siblings in Ernal, North Carolina. I'm probably mispronouncing that town. It's E-R-N-U-L. I think I remember this one from a few months back. Yeah, you probably do. It was on the news a lot. Um, Around 1 p.m., his siblings went back inside, but he didn't. His great-grandmother spent about 45 minutes looking for him and then called the police. It was believed that he may have wandered into the woods behind the house. Uh, the description uh, was given of Casey of 2 foot 4 inches, 25 pounds, and strawberry blonde hair. He was last seen wearing a blue coat and dark-colored pants. That night, hundreds of volunteers came out to search for little Casey. The woods presented many obstacles for the searchers, Thick brush, briars, sinkholes, fallen trees, ponds, creeks. Um, And that night, the temperature dropped well below freezing, and it began to rain. Probably the worst possible scenario for any missing persons, let alone a three-year-old child. Um, The search became more frantic as hours turned into days. 
Everyone started to fear the worst with the temperatures and conditions. The likelihood of Casey surviving got less and less as time went. Then about 48 hours after he was reported missing, following a lead from a neighbor who was out walking her dog and reported hearing crying, the searchers followed a voice deeper into the woods. Going through waist-deep freezing ponds and there tangled up in briars, they found Casey. His core temperature was very low, and his fingers were showing signs of frostbite. The fir- searchers found him. Er, the searcher that found him said that he was so tangled up in the vegetation that he would not have been able to get himself out. Uh, they rushed him to the hospital, and once at the hospital, he was reunited with his family. He told his mother that while he was lost in the woods, a bear had looked after him. Now, this is an amazing story, and it broke my heart when I first heard it because the, fir- the pictures that were on the news of Casey, he was actually wearing an outfit that my two-year-old son has. And it just immediately just, oh, my gosh. And I started imagining my son out in the woods somewhere at night, you know. Freezing temperatures. Freezing temperatures. Raining. Broke my heart. Um, and then when they found him, it was just like I felt the relief of the family, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh, that was, I couldn't imagine. Um, now as amazing as the story is, there are some interesting things about it and it's triggered many theories across the internet. Now Casey was found only about 50 yards from the road. Um, and about 50 yards from the home as well. So he wasn't even that far. Now, searchers did state that ha- it was hard to navigate the woods because of the vegetation. And one stated that at some points it took over an hour to move 200 feet. Now, But if it's 50 yards, 200 feet. That they, were, the, the <laughs> ro- they were going 200 feet in the wrong direction. <laughs> now, experts say that also that this is not typical behavior for a bear. And in North Carolina, bears tend to be in hibernation between November and they go into hibernation between November and January and don't emerge until March or April. So what we're saying is he found the one blue and all the bears? Exactly. He found Bigfoot. Now, one of the theories is he maybe wandered into a den where the bears were hibernating. Holy shit. And that's why they didn't find him because he was in a den um, and he just looked out and the bears didn't eat his face off and didn't fucking wake up. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christ. bears are very docile when they're hibernating. There was, there was a show on where that guy, he, it, they, he would hang ex- out with uh, the grizzly bears and when they were hibernating, he could like go up to the opening of their cave and, and I mean, they, they grunt a little but they wouldn't even try to they're move They're trying to, to save all him. the energy they can for their mm-hmm. hibernation so when bears go into hibernation, they're really docile animals because they need to save all that energy. And they're the stored fat. Yeah, for the time they're sleeping. So. so he very well could have gone and cuddled up <clears throat> with some sleeping bears and stayed warm, which is how he survived for 48 hours in freezing rain. Yeah. Um, another theory is that a bear found him and carried him to the den. Maybe as like a, mm, if I wake up hungry kind of snack. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, what's well, another one is um, uh, bear country in Alaska. There was a story that was—I mean, it's—it's it's much older than this one. 
I think it's about 30 years older. Uh, and I was told this whenever I was younger, because uh, you should be afraid of gators. But uh, my grandmother told me a story about um, bears in Alaska, or a particular bear in Alaska, where during the salmon run, they're very, very aggressive. But as it gets closer to the docile year, time of year where they do the hibernation and stuff like that, um, mother in, mother's instincts kind of kick in as well. So there was a story about a, a young child that was, I think, eight, maybe seven years old, that uh, it was actually carried to a den and they had to actually put down the bears to get the child, which that's the sad part of the story. But the kid wasn't harmed in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. And he was gone for five days. And they they heard him crying. And I guess them being in a cave, it just kind of like projected his voice. And they got him. But the kid says that he was carried to the cave. Uh, and, sat, and every time he would move, they would grunt so he would stay. Like, but... I mean, the the bear that took him was a female bear. Yeah. So. Well, and I was also reading another article that was talking about they're starting to notice some interesting behavior in bears where bears are not as aggressive as they would typically be to other animals. And even they say befriending them because we like to put human traits on animals. But almost befriending what would normally be a prey animal and, you know, things like that. Lions do the same thing. Now, now in, in this region, would it be black bear or brown bear? Uh, black bear. And and those are usually the mo- less aggressive yeah, they're, yeah. bears. Yeah. And also there's a lot of misconceptions about bears. So, I mean... Yes, they're mean, but not all the time. I mean... Yeah. Now, some other theories that have come out about this would be like a bear spirit. So you have like the Native American brother bear spirit that is a protective spirit that... Yeah, like a nature spirit that, or... Yeah. Um, an elemental. An elemental yeah. that watched over the child. Uh, another theory is the hairy man himself, Mr. Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Which is also speculated to be another... A nature spirit. Yes. No. And for this thing, for a three-year-old, seeing a, something hairy, you know, take him someplace, I, you could see a three-year-old thinking it's a bear because he doesn't, that's the only animal he's been yeah. shown that's similar to... I really want to talk to know. this kid whenever he, like, gets a, like... Like, like at four or five, yeah. when he still will have the memory of it. Oh yeah, but be more verbal. Ver- 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 oh yeah, that would be really interesting. I want to. I want to interview this kid. Now, there's also another theory out there that maybe it was um, a human, and uh, you know, bundled up because it's cold, and he was abducted, and then. Oh, wearing like a fur lined coat, yeah, or yeah something. something like that. And then it was those, he could have been abducted, and then the search gone, people going out looking for him startled the person, so he just left him in the woods where he was. Yeah, and but does that also describe why he survived forty eight hours in the? Well, because he took him out of the woods, and then and okay. then brought him back to the woods. Yeah, where they were doing the searches. Yeah, because yeah. you would think if, if he was well, I'm saying if he was fifty yards away. 
if once again doing searches, if it's at least conducted by law enforcement, they're going farther than fifty yards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if they did that, didn't find him, so yeah, he could have fallen in a den or something like that, or if someone kidnapped him, and then after the searches have been done, you know, started freaking out about what they did, and just went and dumped him. He said it was only 50 yards off the road. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been yeah. hard for him to sneak him back into the woods and just leave him and make it look like he got lost in the woods. Yeah. And or the, hell, the, even just drop him at the road and drive let, off, yeah, and then let him he just wanders, wanders wherever back. he wanders. Yeah. Now... The police say that they don't think that would be possible because of how many people were there. But at the same time, that many people could also hide it. Yeah. Because they would just think he was just another searcher. He or she was just another searcher out there. Um, I don't know. I think it's awesome that the little boy was found and yeah, he was I'm safe. I'm glad he's okay. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to go with Bigfoot. I like the Bigfoot theory. I, I, I do. Um, I'd like to see, uh, you know. I mean, the bear one's pretty cool too. If one of those he was rescued by a bear and kept alive for a day or two days, and then he tried to escape, not escape, but he tried to wander off while the bear was hibernating and yeah, got stuck in the briars. And I'm found, but. I'm personally picturing Chaz or Horace from the skit with yeah. prognostics. You know, He's taking like, care of them. There's no used condoms around <laughs> here. <laughs> I was oh. sure his parents didn't use condoms. <laughs> you know, I'll be- I'll believe anybody's story, no matter how paranormal it sounds. So, I mean, I I I I, uh, I believe the kid. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. he was with a bear, and I mean, that's that's at least what he perceives. Yeah, it was real to him. He was yeah. with, He was with Baloo of the Jungle Book. Yeah. Hashtag Disney. I mean, it very well could have been just that long without food and water. Mm-hmm. Made him delirious. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, heck, he could have seen a bear while he was stuck in these brush. And, Honestly, in the and end, it was a miracle. Yeah. I yeah. mean, plain and simple. I mean, it per- whether it was even, a bear or I mean, even an older kid being stuck, like, I mean, eight, nine years old. Being stuck out in the freezing cold weather for 48 hours is a miracle that they would survive, let alone someone who literally cannot protect or gather resources and stuff for them. Oh, yeah. No survival skills. Well, I think about how helpless our son is. I mean, he's two. This kid was three. But, I mean, he can't fix himself food. He can't fix himself a drink. You know. And this is why. Parents shouldn't leave their kids who are under four years old or older unattended outside. Yeah. outside. Exactly. It's like today our son wanted to go outside. Well, I was busy doing stuff in the house. I No, we can't go outside right now. Yeah, I could have let him go out there with his eight-year-old sister, but I'm not going to do that without me being out there. Yeah. Because she's eight. <laughs> you know? <laughs> she... She might push him off the swing, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I want to be. He fell, there. Mama. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "No, sissy." Amy just remembers all the things she did to me when I was a child. So you know, we and have. This is the reason why he has brain damage. She was like, "Here, I'll open the gate. Go find a new home." <laughs> <laughs> Chad, I'm setting you free. Go find a new family. <laughs> 
<laughs> Go find your real dad. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So. Milkman. Well, well, thanks for ending this on a, on a really good note. note. Yeah. yeah. I thought those were two pretty dark cases. So I wanted to and do a lightning story. Lightning. Uh-oh. That's Uh-oh. not the right way of oh. putting that. Do a. <laughs> Yeah. Do a thunder story. <laughs> Do a lighter story. And there we go. Who knows? I mean, we might revisit this in four or five years when he's a little older and he comes yeah. out yeah. and he comes new. When Oprah interviews out. him or something. Yeah. You know? The man who survived by bears comes out looking like the boy like who's a, been a now called five-year-old the bear whisperer. Yeah. It'll actually be clickbait on Facebook. Yeah. And I'm like, what happened to the kid who was saved by the bear? And it's clickbait, and then you get to the end, and there's absolutely nothing about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an <laughs> ad for penis enlargement pills. <laughs> Chad's like, of course I do. <laughs> That's funny, because all my ads are for Lowe's and Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, 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 Actually, Honestly, mine it, right now are all for psychic readings and Mine's all stuff. new egg, computer yeah, parts. Computer parts. <laughs> That's right. all they are. Amazon computer desks. I've had one blow-up um, doll. Mm-hmm. One blow up doll. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't uh, know why. Yeah. Um <laughs> That's because you were looking up the uh the 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 doll thing. Yeah. Okay. That might be it. But blow up doll? I don't know. Okay. Alright, so yeah. So that's gonna do it for this episode. We're gonna end on blow on blow up doll, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll probably cut that part out. Okay, cool. If you've got any information again, um, I'll put links on the notes for the episode and pictures on uh, the social medias. And you can follow us, follow us on the social medias at UNP Normalcy. You can always drop us an email at unpnormalcy at gmail.com. If you would please just take a moment and go rate and review us on wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't rate and review on your podcast app, leave us a comment. Um, I know on Castbox, I've refi- replied to a couple of people or to a, a listener, um, but it helps us get on the charts and helps people find us easier. So if you like what you're hearing, anyone other people to hear it, share that. Share us with your friends and family. Um, I know sometimes if you're into this kind of like the the paranormal stuff, you might get weird looks from your family and friends, but. I know that you always hang out with people who have like minds. So you know somebody who's into the same stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like we cover a broader range than just paranormal. Because these missing person cases, they're more of an unsolved mystery. But yeah, we appreciate our listeners so much. Um, if you also want to help us out, we've got our Patreon page at patreon.com slash unpnormalcy. And we'd love some help. Uh, We hope to soon be getting some stickers and some other stuff out. And until next time. Keep digging.